so what I wanted to talk to you about this morning, I, I just felt this isn't necessarily going to be totally polished because um, I only had a short while to, 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 to prepare it, but I, I felt God put it on my head just to talk about God's wonderful grace. Now, it's not, a, not an unfamiliar theme to us, but sometimes it's good to just go back to things that are actually so important and out of which everything else grows. So if you'd like to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, I just want to read a few verses, and then we'll kind of launch, launch from there. And verses, verse 15, 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 15. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does uh, a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them, be separate, touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And... I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So we thank you, Father, so much for the ability to gather together today. Thank you for that. Thank you for being able to be amongst friends and to be here together, as has just been shared. We do thank you that you've made some wonderful promises, Lord. We've just read them. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters. What a promise. I'll live among them, walk among them. I'll be their God. They will be my people. What a wonderful thing it is that you've made promises to us that are rock solid, ongoing, cannot be shaken, and we pray as we just look at your word now that uh, old truths will come with fresh manner for each of us today. And that you will do some things in our hearts, Lord, that will strengthen us and give us more and more of a glimpse of who we now are in Christ, what he has done for us. We ask for your help. I ask for your help, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing to say about God's grace and God's dealings with us is that God takes the first step. God takes the first step. Now, there are distinctives in these verses that it talks about. You know, come out and be separate, touch no unclean thing. There's, there's some distinctives about God's people where we, we, we live differently, we think differently, we behave differently. There is something there, and we'll... We'll come on, to, come on to that. And I'd have to say in the world that we are presently living in, particularly in the West, and particularly in the UK, I think the distinctiveness of God's people will become even more distinctive in the coming years, not because we're trying harder or we're seeking to be sort of those who stand with placards and kind of, uh, you know, make a point of being distinctive, but I just think increasingly the Christian life and the, Christ, the, the perspective of life that being a believer gives us will be the contrast between that and the, the, the philosophy of the world, the culture of the world, the, way, the world we're living in is just getting, the light is getting lighter, the dark is getting darker. And whether we like it or not, the contrast between us and, 
uh, and, and the world without Christ is going to get more obvious. Uh, and that will bring with it both an attractional thing for people who are looking for reality, looking for God, but it will also bring challenges to us. And I think increasingly our Christianity will become filled out a lot more to include suffering and persecution because we name the name of Jesus. I think that is coming uh, in different ways uh, from perhaps in other parts of the world. But I think our distinctiveness is nevertheless going to be something that will stand out even more. So yes, there is distinctiveness about being a Christian. If you say you've received Christ, if you say you've become a Christian, but there's no difference to your life whatsoever, then you'd have to question that because we have been put into a kingdom that's different from the kingdom we were in. We've been born again. Our old nature's gone. Our new nature is now the governing, dominating disposition of the soul. Something as radical has changed, and as a result of that, things change out from us. But behind that, God takes the first step. God takes the first step. And I want you to notice that Paul's talking to the Corinthian church here about promises God has made irrespective of having to earn them or somehow live in such a way to be worthy of them. I want to say, if you are here this morning and you as yet don't know Christ as your Savior, but you're exploring, you're, you're here, you, say, you sense there's something true, beginning to read the Bible, perhaps you're doing an Alpha course, perhaps online you're watching in, you're just curious, you're exploring all sorts of religion or faith, you're, you're, you're asking lots of questions. Let me say to you that Christianity, following Christ, biblical Christianity, is the only religion, is the only kind of spiritual pursuit that you will ever find in the history of humanity where God takes the first step. Every other religion, every other spiritual pursuit involves achieving something, believing certain things, behaving in certain ways, uh, reforming yourself, doing certain tasks, uh, worshipping in certain ways, uh, changing in certain ways, that you might attain something, that you might be worthy of something. Everywhere, every religion you look at, we have to take the first step toward the deity that we're seeking to go. We have to take the first step. We have to do something to earn God's approval, to have access to him, to be worthy of his attention, to receive forgiveness. We have to do something. Christianity is completely the other way around. God takes the first step with those who deserve nothing and who are capable of nothing before him. You and I have no ability whatsoever to earn anything, improve ourselves in any way, merit God's goodness, his grace, his kindness to us. There's nothing whatsoever in us that could possibly make God look at us and say, ah, yeah, you've changed. You've changed, so I'll now give you my attention. It's not like that at all. It is as far away from that as you could possibly be. While we were yet sinners, God sent his son. God took the initiative. God takes the first step toward you. If you know him today, he pursued you. He came looking for you, regardless of how you behaved, regardless of whether there was... He didn't think, well, you are, yeah, you'll make a good Christian. He didn't think... It's, 
Do you ever think like that when you meet people who think, oh, they'd be a good Christian? No, they wouldn't. None, none of us, there's, we can meet some very good people, very nice people. There's something about you know, humanity being made in God's image that, yes, praise God, we're not all as bad as we could be. Otherwise, you know, there wouldn't be anybody left if, if, if evil was let loose. There is a, a common grace that God has given to the world. And we can meet some incredibly wonderful people who you know, are actually nicer people than Christians, if I'm perfectly honest, sometimes. But it's got nothing whatsoever to do with what kind of a person you are, whether you're, you feel you're sort of on the mountaintop of righteousness or in the gutter of sin. You still can't touch the stars. You know, that we can't do anything. God takes the first step, and he says to the Corinthian church that they've been given a gift, as it were, some promises. God's made promises to you without you earning them. Therefore, live in the good of it. In chapter 7, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves. He doesn't say, come on, let's purify ourselves that we might inherit the promises. That's religion. Purify yourself, then you'll inherit the promises. God says, I'll give you some promises. I'll make them true about you. Therefore, because you've now been in receipt of promises you don't deserve, therefore, now purify yourselves. That is radical in the history of humanity. There's no other spirituality you will find anywhere that says that. John 3.16, that really, really famous verse, just sums it up, doesn't it? Uh, where it says, God, I just want to read it word for word carefully. John 3.16, right? If you're as yet not a Christian and you just want some proof, some evidence of what I'm saying to be true, this verse is a good place to start. For God so loved the world, right? it starts with him. He felt love. God so loved the world that he gave. Starts with him. He takes the step. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands, uh, not condemned, stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. God takes the first step. Whatever you're feeling about yourself this morning, whether you're thinking, well, God can't love me if he, you know, he knows what I've done. If you all knew what I've done, you knew what sort of person I am, you know, I, I, I'm not like everyone else here. You know, everyone else is, is far more deserving of God's grace than I am. I, listen, God knew what we were all like and gave his son. If you're not a believer here, this one, let me tell you, God gave something for you. And sometimes you say it's God's free gift. Of it. It's not free. This gift cost a lot. For God to give his son cost a lot. Can you imagine? He gave his son that if you believe in his son, if you receive him, if you receive the work that Jesus has done by faith, not by works, not by you doing anything, if you receive that, God, God gave abundantly for your, for your blessing. And it was an intentional. Romans 5, 8 says, you know, God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if you're exploring faith at the moment, you're exploring receiving Christ, you know, exploring the, the message of the gospel, please know 
it starts with God taking a step towards you. The fact you're even here or online exploring it is because God's Spirit is stirring something in you. He's awakening you to things that you weren't awakened to before. He's working in you that you might work with him to find Christ for yourself. So God takes the first step. Next thing is we, we take a good look. God takes the first step, then we take a good look. Now, the Bible in the Old Testament is full of laws. Uh, and uh, okay, most of us know the Ten Commandments. And, but if you start to go through Exodus and Leviticus and all sorts of things, all sorts of goats and sheep and bulls and you know, if your neighbor falls in a hole you've dug, how much you've got to you know, repay him and he can push you in a hole to make it even and all, you know, all sorts of things. There's a lot, of, a lot of laws to try and create justice, a lot of laws that, that there would be justice in society, justice between people. There's, there's lots of laws for how we worship God, you know, to do certain things, keep this feast, keep that feast, try and do these things to make yourself holy. The, the law... The law was given to show us what justice and righteousness look like, what it looks like. And the the Bible says that the law is a bit like a mirror. Now, um, in Romans 3.20, let me just find that. Romans 3.20, it says, Therefore, Uh, No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So the reason we have now looking in, you can read in Exodus and Leviticus and all those, you read the law, you read the complexity of it, the, the breadth of it for daily life. And you say, well, no one could keep that up. Even the Ten Commandments, when, you know, and they you read, well, no one can do all that, you know. Jesus then makes it even worse on the Sermon on the Mount because he says, you know, it's even higher internal law, not just external behavior, but it's, your heart's got to be perfect as well. And you, you say, wow, it's, this is, who could possibly keep perfect justice before God? Who can possibly present themselves totally righteous before God? The law is there, as it says there, not that we might... Um, uh, be made righteous by the law, but through the law we become conscious of our sin. In other words, the law shows us how far short we actually fall. Because we might think, well, actually, I'm not that bad a person. You know, there's worse. Uh, we might think, I'm not, I'm not that bad. But actually, the law, when we read the Bible, we think, well, have you done that? Have you felt that? Do you think this? You think, well, well, yes, actually, I do. It uh, makes us feel a bit uncomfortable because we're revealed things that we don't perhaps see about ourselves unless it's revealed. Now, recently, I, uh, I had to have some surgery on my face, on my nose, because I got some skin cancer, and, I, and it got a bit, it needed some surgery. So there I am laying on the table. They keep you awake, which is fun. Uh, and the uh, first surgeon comes along, and he has to cut... Some, you know, cut the cancer out. So he says to me afterwards, after he's done that, he said, do you want to have a look? And I said, uh, yeah, all right then. So I thought, well, I'm not squeamish, I'm interested. Now, in my head, I was imagining what he'd done. Right? I was imagining what he'd done. So he gives me this mirror, I'm still laying on the table, he gives me this mirror, and I looked at it, I went, what have you done to my nose? I mean, 
what? I didn't say that to him, but I'm thinking it. I said, oh, yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, it's like, whoa. I think that, that's way worse than I was imagining. Now, that is what the law is like for us. It's like God saying, do you want to have a look? Yeah, well, yes, all right, I'll have a look. I can't be that bad, can it? You're imagining, oh, I'm sure I'm not that bad before God. And he, up comes the law. You look in the mirror and you go, whoa, I am way worse than I thought I was. Now, it's re- just to finish the story, they did tidy it up, right? And I still have one, and it's the right way up and all the rest of it. So that's good. Uh, praise God for that. But, but the, the point is, my imagination and the reality were not the same. And God takes a step towards us in wanting to bring his grace to us. But the first thing he requires of us is that we take a good look in reality at actually what is in here. And we see that we need a saviour. We see we need a surgeon who can surgically remove the sin from our hearts. And it's way worse than we were imagining. And in actual fact, you can't really become a Christian until that mirror's been held up. Because otherwise you think, well, why do I need forgiving? Not that bad. I'm sure when I get to heaven, all the good things I've done, I can say to God, well, you know, did my best. Put the mirror. It's things we all have to say, wow, I, 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 I am not righteous by a long way. I do not live perfect justice or... And again, for any that are sort of exploring Christianity, exploring what it is to be a Christian, let me just say to you, it does have to get worse before it gets better. If you go to see a doctor and there is something really quite seriously wrong with you, you really don't want him to say or her to say, it's not that bad. Be all right. I've seen worse. You don't... That's not, I mean, that might make you temporarily feel okay, but it's not going to get to the root of the issue, is it? So because God loves us, he has to hold the mirror up to us, the mirror of the law, and we look in it and we go, oh, yeah, that is worse than I thought. I need a saviour. And the moment you start to feel, I need a saviour, You're getting there. You're getting there. You're realizing, I can't save myself. I can't impress God. I can't do anything to kind of make myself worthy of his love or his kindness. So we take a good long look. Next thing is God then makes a way. So what do we do do when we've had a good long look in the mirror? We think, this is bad, I can't fix it. This is very bad, but I can't fix it. Do you just put the mirror away and think, well, I'm not looking at that again. Hopefully the memory will fade. Well, no, God has made a way to heal what we see. He's made a way. And that way, so Romans 7, let's just, go, just try and talk you through this just to see how the, how the gospel works. So we've looked in the mirror, think that's not good at all. Romans 7, uh, you find, um, yeah, in verse, 
14, Paul's looking in the mirror here. He's talking about his experience of coming to Christ. He's talking, here's a a Pharisee, a zealot, a man who was excessively um, skilled in keeping the law, in trying to make himself right before God. He exceeded, he excelled beyond all all of his contemporaries. And he's now come to Christ and he's reflecting on it. He's reflecting on what he what he was like, and he said, um, we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but sin living in me that does it. Therefore I find this law at work within me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. In my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within me, waging against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the sin of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now what he's describing is a person who's had a good look in the mirror. Now, I'm very blessed to have two two granddaughters and the oldest one, who's five, she she says to me sometimes, she says, I want to be good, but I can't. It's usually after she hasn't been. But I thought, even she's got it at five. I want to be good, but I just can't. Now, that's a very, very simple way of saying what Paul takes about a chapter to say. (laughs) Ask my granddaughter. You want to know about sin? Ask my granddaughter. I want to do good, but I just can't. No, she's saying it in a way that excuses it. Paul's saying, who's going to deliver me from that? We cannot, we cannot, brothers and sisters, find a solution within ourselves. And that sort of sense of helplessness before God turns us to him to say, Lord, is there a way? Is there a way? And God wonderfully makes a way. Our hopeless condition that we find in Romans 7, finds its solution in Christ. In Romans chapter 6, 25, it says... No, it doesn't. There isn't a chapter, verse 25. Here's 6. Let me find another one. I've got several down here. In Galatians 2.20, it says this. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So what's Paul saying to the Galatians there is, 
Trying to keep the law can't save you. But Christ died on the cross, the perfectly just one, no injustice within him in how he treated others or how he lived before God. The perfectly righteous one didn't do anything wrong, say anything wrong, think anything wrong, perfectly righteous in every way. He died on the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous. We can't do anything to help ourselves. He was given by God who pursued us, took the first step. Christ died on the cross so that his righteousness, his perfection could be placed upon you and me and we become owners and recipients of it and our unrighteousness and the injustice and the shame and the guilt that is within us is taken from us and placed on him. So he becomes responsible and the owner of our sin before the Father. He gives us his righteousness as a gift. We give him our unrighteousness. That is the great way that God made a way for you and I, having looked in the mirror, to then think, how can I be rescued from this? God said, you can't rescue yourselves. I will rescue you by my son taking your place on the cross. So Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's real. Now, the Bible says, you know, in Romans 6, 11, it says, in the same way, sorry, verse 8, if we died with Christ, okay, if we've been crucified with him, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, this is really important, in the same way, count or reckon, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, sometimes we struggle with that, thinking, well, I know when I became a Christian, I, I, I prayed a prayer, simple prayer, and I received Christ as my Savior. I asked him into my life. I confessed my sin as best as I knew and said, forgive me, Lord, I confess my sins. I ask receive you into my life as my Savior. Simple prayer. And I, 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 then did, I didn't particularly feel any different at that moment, but I, I was taking a step of faith because I knew, I knew what the Bible said. I knew that Christ had died in my place and he was able to save me. He, he had no sin of his own, but he took mine. I knew that. I didn't feel any different. And often as, as Christians, because we go up and down a little bit in life, and some days we're feeling, yeah, I can feel I'm a new creation. I can feel I'm you know, different to what I was. Other days we think, man, I feel I'm worse than I was. And uh, I, you know, we're, very, very, we're very, very vulnerable, aren't we, to the winds and tides of life and what it does to us. And we can think, well, I don't know, am I dead to sin? And, you know, I didn't really feel anything. This is not about feelings. This is about a, a fact that we put our faith in. If I get on a plane, my watch says, you know, 11.24 in the UK, but I fly to another country with a different time zone. If I get off the plane, my watch is still saying, you know, UK time, but the time is different in the country I've gone to. I've got to change my watch to match where I've gone. Brothers and sisters, we need to make sure we, keep, we adjust our perspective to where God has taken us. 
We are new creations. Whether we feel it or whether we don't on a particular day, we have been crucified with Christ. Simply that's accessed by faith. When God called Abraham and he said, Abraham was a sun worshipper. I don't, I don't mean he laid on a sun lounger. I mean he worshipped the sun. You know, he, he didn't know God at all. He was a, a sun-worshipping Iraqi. God said, I want you to, to follow me. Go somewhere. And it's, the Bible says, Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins? That isn't a rhetorical question. That is a, yeah? Yeah? Well, that's all God actually requires of us, to, re- to believe that it's true and to receive him as our saviour, to receive him by faith. And all of that becomes true for us. All of that wonderful thing that Jesus did on the cross becomes true for ourselves. God makes a way. God makes a way. If I was to ask you, how do you know there were two thieves crucified, one on the left, one on the right of Jesus? How do you know? Do you feel it? Well, yes, actually, I do feel there were two thieves. It, yeah, feel, I've got feel that that's true. You don't think like that, do you? How do you know there were two thieves crucified? The Bible says so. So in the same way, how do you know you were crucified with Christ? The Bible says so. It's the same truth, isn't it? We don't rely on our feelings to know that there were two people crucified with Jesus. So we don't rely on our feelings to know that we were crucified with Christ. We believe God. And you know what? When we believe God, it's credited to us as righteousness. That's how the Christian faith works. God does it all. We believe him. He's looking for faith. You think, well, it's got to be more complicated than that. Really isn't. Really isn't. Yeah, but, you know, got to, got to sort of be different, haven't I? Well, actually, no. No, essentially, no. Because this is about receiving what God's done for you first. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, since we have these promises, since we have them, let us purify ourselves. It's a, a response to what's true of us. If we are righteous completely righteous in God's sight, which we are when we receive Christ as our saviour, the natural response is to want to live to please him. How could we possibly not want to? If he's given us so much at no cost to ourselves, but but total cost to him, surely there's something within us. Actually, I'm just so thankful, Lord. So thankful. At every turn, you've hemmed me in and you've saved me from myself. I want to purify myself. Because of that. So we receive by faith. In in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, To as many as received him, he gave the right to be called children of God. Have you received Christ this morning? You received him as your saviour. Simple, a simple step, but profound. It will change your life because you will become a new creation, literally a new creation. Your old nature will be crucified with Christ to the cross. Your old nature is dead. You die. That's why 
when we become Christians, when we receive him, two of the most important baptisms, plural, become really vital as the first thing we do. Because water baptism signifies obedience and identity with Christ. Spirit baptism is for empowerment and intimacy. Empowerment to live the Christian life for him. Intimacy so that we, by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. It took me a while after I'd become a Christian to feel the nearness of God. But when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I tell you, the Holy Spirit witnessed with my spirit, I'm a child of God. That was a work of God every bit as much as me becoming, taking a step of faith, believing, believing objective facts. When the Holy Spirit came and empowered me and brought intimacy to my life with my Father, with my father in heaven, I felt it as well as knowing it. That's why baptisms are so important. When we receive Christ, we get baptized in water, we're identifying we're saying, this is my identity now. I've died to sin. I'm alive with Christ. This is, this is my step of obedience. I'm, I'm dying with Christ. I'm giving my life to Christ. Those, that's really vital. As soon as you can, once you become a Christian, get baptized in water. But as soon as you can, when you become a Christian, it might even happen the same moment. Get empowered by the Spirit because the, the Holy Spirit filling you will empower you to live the Christian life. It's not human effort. It's living by the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will also witness with your spirit. He will witness. He will do the work that you cry, Abba, Father. That's the normal Christian birth. And we constantly need these fresh visitations of God. Let the Spirit blow upon ancient truths that we've known perhaps some of us for years. Maybe even in my faltering attempts this morning, something the Holy Spirit will just land on different people and fresh, fresh, um, fresh life to old truth will just touch people's hearts. And you think, actually... I just feel the nearness of God in a new way, even though I've known him perhaps for many years, some of you. Since we have these promises, and just remind ourselves as we come into land, what are these promises? Well, what does God promise us? The wonderful grace of God, what does he promise us will be our experience I will live with them. I will live with them. Do you know God is here this morning? How do we know that's true? It's the same answer to about four questions. Because the Bible says so. That changes a meeting somewhat, doesn't it? We don't have to try and whip up some atmosphere. Ooh, if we make it very spiritual, God might turn up. No. God's here as you trudged here arguing in the car. <laughs> Trying to pull the children off the wall and stick them in the... You know. I, will, I will live among... He'll live among us. He doesn't just do special religious occasions. When you're doing the packed lunches on a Monday morning every, and you go out and you forgot your phone and you... I will live among them. He's there. It's daily life as well as when we come together. When we come together, there's, a, there's something multiplied about the presence of God. That's why in Hebrews it's don't forget, don't forsake meeting together. Bless you if you are online. It's great, but it's not the same. And I know some people, there's medical reasons, all sorts of reasons. God makes a way. Praise God for the internet. I'm sure if we, Paul had the internet, he'd be doing Zoom calls all the time. Save him a lot of missionary journeys. It really would. There's nothing wrong with it. And praise God for it. But there's something about presence that where it can be accessed, make every effort. 
And if perhaps sometimes if people can't get here through medical reasons, let's do rent a crowd and go around theirs. Because I will live among them. I'll walk among them. God's walking up and down the aisles this morning, touching different ones. You know, I'm, I'm fully aware, I can say a few words, but I know God is working amongst us this morning. I know he is. Why? Because he said, I'll live among you. I'll walk among you. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. I will be a father to you. You will be my sons and daughters. Beautiful promises. And then lastly, we then walk with him. Since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves. Now, what does that mean? Try to earn it? No. It just means we live lining up with who we are. Titus 2 verse 12 says, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And the more we understand of God's grace to us and his kindness to us and how, how much he's done everything for us, things we cannot do for ourselves, the more we understand that, that grace itself, that understanding, the more we get revelation of it, that grace itself teaches us to say no to ungodliness. We don't say no to ungodliness in order to get the grace of God. No, it doesn't work that way. The grace of God itself understanding who we are in Christ, understanding what he's done for us, feeling the felt benefits of the Father's love, knowing he's walking amongst us, knowing that in the, the, the everyday stuff of life, God has promised, I'll be a father to you. Isn't that an incredible promise? I'll be a father to you. And out of that understanding, we purify ourselves. We, we put aside things that would hinder us and, and I don't know, we give forgiveness to those we need to forgive. We, we, we live righteously where we've been living unrighteously. We, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do for you, I'll, I'll do that, whether it's near or far. You know, I, that, that's the response of a heart that's been touched by grace. Galatians 5.13, don't indulge the flesh. You know, that unredeemed part of us. You might think, well, if, if, I've, if I'm a new nature... Why do, I, why do I still keep sinning sometimes? Well, you, again, time doesn't allow, but just to finish, to help us with that. We have a new nature that is totally righteous. Our bias is towards righteousness. If you see law, uh, you know, crown bowls, you bowl the thing, it'll, it'll go off to the bias according to how it's built. We've been inbuilt now with a bias towards righteousness. The, the, the governing disposition of our soul is now holy, not unholy. We've been changed, new creations. But we still have the the flesh, the physical, unredeemed part of us. When Jesus returns or we go to glory, our flesh that still has its own appetites, desires and opinions will, be, will, will pass away and will be raised incorruptible. All of that battle with the flesh will be gone. Our flesh will have caught up with our nature. Until then, we live in the now and the not yet where we are being sanctified, being made pure, being made more holy. Romans 12, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's an ongoing thing that we all live with. We all become, hopefully, more and more holy and like Christ. But it's a, it's a work that's outworking of who we now are. But fundamentally, you and I are righteous people because of the grace of God. So we can leave this place this morning feeling, literally, we own the, we own the greatest thing in, world, in the world. Because we do. 
I mean, everybody will be cheering at Carrow Road over not much, surely. And I'm a Norwich supporter. You know, I, 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 since teenage years, I'm a Norwich supporter. And even if they win championship, go to the premiership, Europe, whatever, you know, I, I don't know. Even if they were to do all that, wake up, Mike, what are you talking about? Even if they, <laughs> even if, even if they were, that's, that's, that's dust in the scales compared to the fact we, we are righteous because of his gift to us, isn't it? So let's stand together, and I just want, want us just to respond to God, and I'm trusting that some of that's just landed in a way that will bless you. And I want to say, if there's anyone here this morning, if the band want to come back, that'd be great. Uh, if, um, if there's anyone here this morning or watching online and you haven't received Christ, do it. Do, what's the matter with you? Do, do it. He's, he's given Jesus because he loves you. This, you don't have to be anything. There's an old hymn where you say, just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. Oh, Lamb of God, I come. You know, it's just a simple receiving because you're believing. Jesus, I know you died for me. I'm persuaded you died for me. I receive you as my Savior today. I give my life to you. It's that straightforward. And it's that powerful. So let's just be before the Lord and... um, Perhaps we just lift our hands before him and just ask the Holy Spirit to, to come among us. And uh, he's walking among us. Remember, we read that. I'll be a father to you. I'll live among you. I will walk. I will walk among you. Just going to give him a few, just some moments of quiet just for God to begin to walk among us. Let's see what he wants to just do. Be receiving. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. If you're just sensing God resting on you, that's the only way I could describe it, just sensing God's presence just at the moment, just lift your hand where you are, just so you see, just sensing God. Just keep your hand up. If you're near someone with a hand up, just put your hand on their shoulder or just, just start to pray for them. If you can sense God is resting on you, just 
you haven't got your hand up, just have a little look around. Find someone just near you and just put your hand on someone nearby who's got their hand. Holy Spirit, we bless what, we bless what you're doing. God's just working particularly on some people now. I feel strengthening is coming to some who feel they're, I don't know, just lost a little confidence in how much God loves them. Just feel you've, I don't know, I don't know why. Maybe lots of different reasons, but God just wants to speak strength through truth right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Demolishing strongholds in your thinking, saying you're not worthy. You're not worthy. You're not loved. You're not taken care of. God doesn't know. He doesn't care. We break the power of those lies of the enemy. Satan is a liar. He lies about God's intentions. He lies about God's heart. He lies about how God feels towards us. We break the power of lies of the enemy now in Jesus' name. Let the glorious truth of the gospel liberate dark clouds of depression, spiritual depression, lift right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. God's just touching several people right now. So keep coming, Lord. The Lord's walking. Remember he said, I will walk among them. He's walking right amongst all of us right now. He's stopping by different ones. As God walks amongst us, not only does he lift heaviness, spirit of despair, spirit of heaviness. I just keep, I break that in Jesus' name. That's resting on several. I break the power of that spirit of despair that just, you know the truth, but it's somehow not permeating your heart. The Holy Spirit fills you right now with an awareness by by, by the Holy Spirit. We cry, Abba, Father. So let that reassurance of God's fatherhood, he took the step towards you right now. walked among the people he's walking among us now when he walked among the people he'd stop and he'd heal physical needs and I, I, love, I love it when God heals people because I hate sickness I hate disease I hate pain I hate disability I hate things that rob people of God's um, wholeness we live in the now and the not yet I understand that there's, there's mystery. But as Jesus just walks amongst us now, just speak healing on bodies. Pain, go. Pain, go. 
that there be some people sitting down at dinner time today who are thinking to themselves, I do not have any pain anymore and I don't know why. I do not know why, but the tide, the high tide of pain has gone out. Holy Spirit, Jesus walks by his Spirit amongst us now, just touching bodies. Let pain be washed out like the tide. Speak that in the name of Jesus. Pain, go. It would be wonderful to have some testimonies in the coming weeks, wouldn't it, of Jesus you know, I'm not healing anyone. Just, we're just giving space for Jesus to come walk amongst us. He's just putting his hand on different bodies now. Just, just healing pain. Like muscle pain, nerve damage. Arthritic conditions. Trigeminal neuralgia break its power if that's the name of it I think it is this pain in the head that comes from time to time break its power now in Jesus name stomach conditions as Jesus just as it were puts his hand on your stomach <laughs> by the power of the Holy Spirit be made well Be made well. I don't know what Jesus is touching where he's working, but I know he's bringing some healing now. So just receive. If you have a physical need, just put yourself in a posture to receive Holy Spirit's power right now. Maybe lift your hands or touch part of the body where pain or illness is. Be made well thank you Lord maybe we can just sing to him but while we're singing let's just keep receiving alright we're singing to him keep receiving Holy Spirit still walking amongst us Don't, that hasn't stopped <laughs> and God may well you know, let Marcus take it on for him but God may well have some other things he wants to do amongst us. I will be their God. They will be my people. I will live among them. It doesn't stop when the meeting is over, as it were. Come, Lord. Let's sing to him.